Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 521. Did I get that right? Is it 521? Is that the episode we're on? I think so. <laughs> I'm Probably. not even sure. Something like that. Some really large number. <laughs> episode. It's 521, oh. it turns out. You are correct. 521? Yeah, that's what I had on the brain. So, uh, uh, Episode 521 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. I am Jason Evans for your listening pleasure. It is early in the morning, slightly before 9 a.m., on Sunday, I am joined by Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Gentlemen, how are you feeling today? Donald, why don't you tell me how you feel first? Good. It, it's Sunday. We we have a, you know it's been a nice weekend so far. Let's keep it going. We got some little Duke news we get to talk about today. Lot, lots of little Duke news. Sam, how about you? What's going on in your neighborhood? I'm great. I'm wearing my brand new home field apparel Duke Blue Devils uh, t-shirt, ringer t-shirt. Uh, I think it's. I think it's pretty sharp. Feel great about that. I went to see uh, Dead and Company last night at Fenway Park, so I'm tired. Uh, but it was it was a good time. So, uh, what do you want to talk about? Basketball. Wait, wait, Sam. How how can people get the home field shirt that you're wearing? How can people get the home field shirt that they're wearing? Well, what they should do is go to homefield.com. Oh shoot! Now I forget. We do have a we do have a code there, right? We got a code. We do have a code. Yes, DBR podcast. DBR podcast. If you go to homefieldapparel.com and use the code DBR podcast, not only will you save fifteen percent on anything you buy there, and it doesn't have to be just Duke gear. Can if you went to another school, you can get that stuff too. Fifteen percent off, and it helps support the show. So go to homefieldapparel.com, fifteen percent off, and you can get the coolest gear. And wear it on a show like Sam is doing right now for the listeners like to me. not be able to see. You could look just like me. <laughs> they they do have, just like Sam. They do have pretty cool looking, um, like classic stuff. Which it, 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 I was surprised when I looked. I was like, "This is this is so much fun." It's, yeah. <laughs> it was right. the one of us that was not familiar with Homefield before we uh, yeah. before we scored this connection. Yes. Yeah. No. I'm. <laughs> he hasn't been. He. I, he I was familiar. I was. Yeah. Familiar. That's right. So Donald and I. Donald and I were aware of this brand and and were probably uh, regularly refreshing to see when they would finally uh, get Duke University stores on board. Uh, yes. Notoriously difficult to work with Duke University stores. <laughs> so again, use that code DBR podcast. And, and even though we're saying it because we get a little tiny, tiny, tiny sliver, uh, really the reason to use it is to get yourself 15% off. Anyway. Right. Exactly. We get, we get we get no juice from from Ebbetsfield flannel, but I tell you to go buy all the new Ducats they just released. Because I'm hyped <laughs> right. about that too. Exactly. So. All right, guys. Uh, before we get to our topics, we got a whole slew. We got a, a little list we've been keeping for the past several days of little snippets of Duke news that we're going to get to. Before we get to those, gentlemen, I've got a real dilemma. I don't know what I'm going to do about this. So my wife and I have really been looking forward to. We really want to take a trip to Japan. That's like sort of, we, we, we got a couple, we've had a, we had a big trip to Israel, a few Israel and Jordan, just a couple months ago, we're, we're going to Iceland and Norway in August. And next spring, we wanted to go to Japan. My wife has been dying to do this for a long time. Duke University has one of the Duke University tours, one of the Duke University trips going to Japan. And I checked the itinerary, I checked the pricing everything about it. I'm like, this is perfect. And I, I love it because usually I do all the planning. And the cool thing is when you do one of these tours through a school, like through Duke, the, the planning is all taken care of. You You cut them a check and you're done, which is great. Uh, I think you can probably sense what the next 
what the problem is. You said first it was week in the April, spring, yes, Jason? First I'm week sorry? in April? Uh, so the trip dates are March 25th to April 6th. <laughs> <laughs> this During would three. be, hold on, this would be right after the, the second round of the NCAA tournament, the round of 32. You would leave the next day. You would miss the Sweet 16 and the final eight, the grade eight, and you would miss the final four as well. Um, I think I think maybe you'd be back in time for the national championship game. I haven't I haven't figured it all quite out yet. Sort of maybe it depends on your flight or something like that. Guys, what am I what am I gonna do here? Like my okay. wife, like this is the perfect trip. It is the worst time it can possibly be. Okay, so I, I'm here to tell you first of all, the Duke alumni like trips that they do are amazing. I took oh, one I, to I China. Took I went I, I went to China. It, yeah, I went to China in 2011. It was it was fantastic how they put together and and have no qualms about the actual trip being amazing. Having said that, I will tell you also, Jason, where have I been the last three or four years during the NCAA tournament? I've been on soccer trips out of the country because that is when FIFA decides to schedule a window. So I'm here to tell you, as long as you can jump on from Kyoto or wherever you're going to go from the Tokyo Dome, you can jump on and watch the game. You can watch the game. I watched the game while watching the U.S.-Mexico game in Azteca. So I know you can watch it in the Tokyo Dome. They got better Wi-Fi there than they do at Azteca. So, Jason, if you and the missus want to take it, I'm here for it. So let me tell you the set of considerations. One, it sounds, yeah. like, it sounds like Donald has, has answered my first question, is, question, which was, like, how worth it is this trip? specifically like i know you you get to avoid the the planning whatever but like make sure you're going on the trip that you want to go on i would imagine that like going to japan and then feeling like you didn't see one or two of the things that you wanted to see would feel like a waste because it is rather far away so it sounds like sounds like this really is a great trip you do like the setup of like going with a big group of people uh on the topic of a big group of people well it's not by the way it's it's not that big how like big? the Duke trips are limited to 24, which is kind of okay. great. So 24 people who are all Duke alumni or Duke alumni adjacent, which means you won't be the only person on this trip who is interested in, in watching, watching the basketball, basketball games. Yep. I imagine, I don't know if they'll have like a dedicated, you know, thing for that, but you will find some camaraderie among that group uh, that, that also is like, how do I watch these games? The other consideration you said that, you said that you're going to miss the second weekend and then the last weekend of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I believe those are the yes. Now the times, given that it's Japan, uh, the times for these games hours. are pretty horrible. Like, yeah, the timing is going to be pretty horrible because most of these games are played. Like Duke tends to play in the second round. Uh, Duke tends to get like the early slot where they're like alone on national TV for uh for the sweet 16 and so that game may be like at three in the morning at four in the morning like at the worst possible time so it is very possible that you are going to miss you know assuming that duke is playing in these rounds of this tournament uh you are going to not be able to watch the sweet 16 and the elite eight live so i i think uh first of all jason you said it goes through april 6th which would be the final four night so when you fly back remember you're going to be the next day so you actually could fly back on the sixth and land wherever the final four is i believe it's in glendale glendale, glendale so Arizona. You could land there on the sixth 
and still be able to get to the game. So I'm just letting you know that that's possible. Also, with it being 13 hours difference, if we're playing the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, we're starting at like 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. And even if we have the late game, right, 10 p.m. on the East Coast, you will actually be okay because it'll be 10 a.m., 11 a.m. So you guys will be waking up in the morning having breakfast and watching the game. Or, or, so, you'll, be, or you'll be out doing some activity. That you that's my bigger concern, right? We'll be at the I, Shinto I temp- Temple. We'll be climbing, climbing Mount Fuji as Duke is playing Kansas in the final in the Great Eight. You know, something like Jason, that. <laughs> Jason, Jason, I'm here to tell you that Mount Fuji will be there after the game. You got, you guys are a group of Dukies. If you go on this trip, I, I, I have confidence that you guys will figure it out. Can I offer, can I offer a completely alternative take, Donald? Yes, Jason, you've you've seen Duke win a national championship. I have you've seen Duke play in every round of the tournament on television and in person all over the country you have never been to japan <laughs> it is true. look I'm, look i i know that i know that this is what we do here but talking about duke basketball and obsessing over duke basketball my guy it's okay everything <laughs> so we look- will be fine we we look forward to adding Mount Fuji to the list of places that this podcast has been has been recorded from. I've been recorded. So, That's right. I'm not sure how great the Wi-Fi is on Mount Fuji. You're about to find out. It's like, you're going to be there. It's a, you're going to be a, there. It's a very technologically advanced society. It, it they is. They have Wi-Fi. Yes. All right, Jason. I, Jason, part of this part of this confidence is that we have the confidence that this will be a problem for you. Like, if this is a problem for you, this is a good problem to have. Just yeah, like, again, exactly. me watching the game in Azteca, I was like, man, I really wish that this becomes an issue for me. And it was. That's perfect. That means we're still playing basketball at that point. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And boy, you want to talk about first world problems. Oh, no, I'm on a trip to Japan <laughs> and my basketball team is playing in the final four. Oh, woe is me. Smash that? the coupon yeah. code for home field so that Jason can afford to go on this trip. <laughs> DBR podcast. DBR podcast. All right, guys, we have we have uh, we've dallied around with with silliness long enough. Let's get to the stuff that matters. We want to recap. First of all, we're going to do the NBA draft. Uh, Derek Lively ends up going number twelve to Dallas. Uh, there was a little trade there with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, a lot of people thought Lively might go number ten to Dallas. Dallas and OKC traded their picks, uh, and uh, Dallas wanted Lively all along. There, there's a little question about that. So Lively goes 12 to Dallas. Dariq Whitehead, who uh, look the the honest truth is there was a chance he might not go in the first round. Looked like he probably would, but there was a chance. You know, he's a late first rounders. Things can happen, and guys slip. You never know. But I think came out really really well for Dariq Whitehead. He goes number 22 to the Brooklyn Nets. So let's talk about both of those first. Sam, I'll I'll come to you. I went to Donald first on on the on the the question of where Japan. Jason, yeah, where Jason should watch the Final Four next year on a plane. Uh, Sam, uh, either Lively or Whitehead, you know, take it. What what what's your feeling on on how the draft ended up for the Dukies? Seen a lot of conversation about what a great fit this is for Lively in particular because of his uh, getting to play now alongside Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic, who attracts a ton of attention on offense and who gets other guys open. And we know that when Derek Lively is left open a little bit, uh, that he tends to get buckets. The other thing that I'm, I'm sort of not worried about when it comes to Derek Lively and the pros, sort of regardless of what team he's on, is that he is going to bring value on defense. I don't know if if at his, his pick level he's going to play 
you know, 25 minutes a game next year, or if he's, yeah, I, I'm not going to pretend that I know enough about the the Mavs roster to tell you like, oh yeah, Derek Lively's definitely playing 25 oh, minutes I'll, next year. He's I'll, definitely playing 30 minutes. Wait, wait, I'll, I'll jump in. And I'll tell you that this is a team, the Dallas Mavericks is a team that they, they do not have like th- their big men are not good. This is a team that is dominant in the backcourt and uh, they're, uh, they're apparently letting Christian Wood go. He was someone who played some for them at center. They're, I'm not saying that Lively is an automatic starter from day one, but uh, you yeah, know, the chance th- 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 there's certainly a chance the Mavs want to get better on defense and they desperately need a presence in the middle, especially a rim protecting presence. That's why Lively was such a no-brainer pick for them. And they got that, right? We we talked about how Lively has clear uh, value in the NBA as as a shot blocker and as a dunker. He clearly has things that he's working on. They 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 uh, Duke men's basketball put out a clip of you know, they put out a lot of a lot of content this week about the draft. But John Shire was saying something to the effect of like, you know. Derek's got a great shot and he's really developing it. I don't know if that's true, but uh, it's nice that that his college coach has confidence in him. But you can see that 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 could be coming along for Lively. So clear, uh, clear things that he's already ready for in the NBA. Didn't doesn't foul that much. At least he didn't foul very much in college, even as he was blocking all those shots. You hope that that translates as well. It, it tends to get easier in the NBA when it comes to to getting fouls called. So even as a young, uh, inexperienced player not worried about Derek Lively, like being expected to play a lot of minutes and then fouling out of games. So I think it's, it seems like a nice fit. Dallas, generally speaking, is a, is a pretty solid organization. And, and I like that for, for Derek Lively. And the great thing about Derek Lively going there is that even if his shot isn't coming along, but we've seen, you know, videos, we talked about the videos that uh, has been put out about him working on his three point jump shot. He doesn't have to be ready to shoot a three pointer. In, in September, October, because they have plenty of guys there who can shoot the long ball. His job is going to be mainly to, to hold it down on the inside while Luka Doncic and, and they hope Kyrie Irving uh, are there in the perimeter to do damage out there. So I really like this move for him and also for Drake Whitehead, since I know you guys talk about Lively a lot. Drake Whitehead is in a situation where the Brooklyn Nets, you know, they might be in a rebuilding phase and this might be something where they're saying, hey, we want you to be one of the pieces, the, the big cornerstones of this rebuild. And again, it's a situation where I know Brooklyn's in a, in a win now type of city, but they are in a position where he can come along slowly and, and you know, make sure that he's 100% healthy uh, from all the injuries he had this past year and the surgery he just had uh, in the spring. So I, I like both moves for both guys. I think they're in perfect situations for them to start their career and they're in perfect organizations that are going to help bring them along in the ways that they need to so that when they hit the floor, they don't feel like they're being thrown to the wolves. They are in a position where they can be successful. And that's what we as Duke fans want for them. Uh, Look, when it comes to Whitehead, I think it's somewhat of the exact opposite situation with Lively, where when you look at the Dallas Mavericks roster, they, they really don't have any, any big men. They don't have any center that uh, would, would be in Lively's way. On the other hand, with the Brooklyn Nets, you're talking about a team that is loaded with with shooting guards, with uh, you know, with wing players. And I, look, I'm not saying that Whitehead is not in their plans, not by a long stretch. But but my bet is Whitehead's going to spend a pretty fair bit of the season, especially early in the year, 
uh, in the G League that they will they will want to get him minutes and get him time, especially because he didn't get as much time as he would have wanted due to injuries at Duke. And I think they're gonna. I, I just don't think this is a team that necessarily needs him right away. They've got Mikhail Bridges, they've got Joe Harris, they've got Seth Curry, they've got Cam Thomas, they've got Cameron Johnson. This is a you know again this is a, a Nets team that really has a lot of guys playing already on the wing, and and I'm not sure we've talked about Whitehead's potential, and and how this is a guy who many people thought was a top five draft pick at one point, so. So clearly, if if things develop, he's going to be in great shape, and and will be a huge huge player for the Nets. But but I think that that may be a process rather than something that happens fairly quickly. It's going to be a process, but that logjam that you just mentioned uh, at the you know guard position, I think that's going to be alleviated somewhat in the offseason. I know there's been talk about Mikael Bridges going elsewhere via trade. I know there's talk about Cam Johnson going elsewhere via trade because, again, if they're going to start this rebuild, those are kind of two of the biggest pieces, uh, or at least the, the the guys with the highest trade value that they have on the roster, and then also would alleviate some of the logjam that they do have. So I, I would expect some of those guys, those names you mentioned, Jason, to kind of clear out this summer, and that may give Whitehead more opportunity. Again, I, I agree with you. I think he's going to be brought along slowly, especially considering – the injury that he just, you know, the injuries that he had this past season, there's in, you know, really being in the point where if they're going to do a rebuild, it's about bringing guys on slowly and finding some of these other pieces that are going to complement Whitehead and some of the others that they consider part of the long-term future of the Nets. Hey guys, I just want to do a couple other quick uh, NBA draft notes. Just a few things that I, you know, jotted down as I was, as I was thinking about the NBA draft Duke was the only ACC school to produce a first-round draft pick. There has been much talk on this podcast and elsewhere about the state of the ACC. And look, I don't, I don't know if it's good that the ACC. Obviously, Duke had two first-round draft picks in the ACC. Rest of the ACC, every other team in the ACC, fourteen of them had zero. I don't know if that's good because you could say, oh, potential ACC draft picks didn't turn pro, or <laughs> more accurately. The ACC really had no one other than these guys at Duke who were who were anywhere close to being first round draft picks. It, it, it's it's troublesome, I think, for the conference that that they aren't doing better in the NBA draft. The first non-Duke ACC draft pick was Hunter Tyson of Clemson. Uh, you know, a year ago, I would have thought that was absolutely insane. <laughs> but the NBA sees a lot of what it likes in Hunter Tyson. He actually he ended up going to Denver. And he plays the same position as Jack White. I'm not sure if anyone bothered to think about this, but that that could impact whether Jack White gets another two-way contract from the Denver Nuggets. It could be a you know a significant thing for for Duke and Jack White. Uh, the other ACC guys who got drafted: Jordan Miller of Miami went at number 48. Isaiah Wong went 55. Here's another head scratcher. If anyone had told you a year ago that Jordan Miller was going to go higher in the draft than Isaiah Wong, you would have been like, "What the heck's right. going on in Miami?" And, and, and that Isaiah Wong would go that low. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was pegged to be a late first round, you know, pick last year. Um, and but I do think he'll, you know, both those guys will, will end up, uh, you know, getting out some nice careers. Bruce Brown is a guy I think of. He also went to Miami, and a guy who was like, oh, this guy should have been much better than he is, but now is you know, world champion Bruce Brown because he's on the Denver Nuggets. He's found his and way around the the league and ended up in the right situation. Bruce Brown's about to get paid, by the way. He's a free oh, agent. Yeah. 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 He had a great playoffs. He's about to get paid. 
Uh, the other the other little draft note I wanted to mention very quickly. So G.G. Jackson uh, went number 45. This is a guy who was formerly the number one player in the 2023 class. He reclassified to the class of 2022. He then chose not to go to North Carolina, went to South Carolina instead. I'm not sure anyone saw him play at South Carolina because South Carolina is not an interesting basketball program. And then he ends up going number 45 in the draft. I mean, like literally a year ago before he reclassified, everyone thought this was a guy who was going to be easily a top 10 draft pick. So he dropped pretty significantly. And then Donald, I'm sure you want to mention it. Imani Bates went number 49. By the way, his his story and Gigi Jackson's story are almost exactly the same. Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. And and I think for Imani Bates, you know, uh I, I I forgot where he went. He said he went 49th, but I forgot which team he went to. I, I'm sure you'll you'll tell me in just a second. But I think for Imani Bates, this is his story is just a matter of you need to have the right people in your corner. And you need to have people who are going to understand what is best for you may not necessarily be the best thing for them. And in, I think for Imani Bates and some of these other guys, too, I, I, I'm I not going to speak for G, uh, for Gigi Jackson because I don't know his situation, but at least for Imani's, there's a lot of people who were trying to get stuff out of Imani Bates except for what was best for Imani Bates. And it puts him in a situation where he goes to Memphis, doesn't do well, transfers back home to Eastern Michigan, gets caught up in the the uh, incident with the, uh, with the gun, um, that I think the charge of later drop, but again, you're you're putting someone in a situation that's that they know they can't handle, and because of that, came back with a lot of pressure to to perform in, at Eastern Michigan. Did well, but he didn't do anything near what he was expected to do when he was number one or number two, depending on your your draft service, alongside Chet Holmgren. So, um, yeah, it, it's a it's a poor situation. It's funny, Jason. We talk about the, these rookies. Chet Holmgren is going to be a rookie because he missed all yeah. of last year. So add that guy to the mix of these guys who are, you know, running for rookie of the year and stuff like that. But yeah, to now the comparisons for reminded Bates are still going to be there because again, once again, he's in a draft class alongside the guy who he's been battling his whole high school career. Uh, by the way, on a future podcast, we're not going to do it on this one, but we've already started to get some 2024 mock drafts coming through. Duke well represented in the 2024 mock draft so far. Uh, so that's- well, everyone's staying, so that's fine, Jason. They can mock all they want. <laughs> Jason says we're we're not covering this yet. That the things are already coming in. It was Jason who started the 2024 draft <laughs> discussion topic on the yes. DVR forum yesterday. So so don't don't accuse other people of of getting in here way too early, Jason. You, it, this is your thing. <laughs> it, uh, hey, I freely admit it. it it's, mo- it's more that we have so many other topics to go through on this episode that we don't have time to do the 2024 mock draft thing. Hey, really quickly, before we take a break, I do want to mention one other bit of NBA news that relates to a to a beloved, beloved Dookie, Tyus Jones on the move. This happened just before the NBA draft. He, he is part of a three-team trade. He went to Washington as part of the trade that sent Marcus Smart from Boston to Memphis. There were several other players involved in this trade, but really the, the, the biggest names are Marcus Smart, Kristaps Porzingis, who goes to Boston, and Tyus Jones, who goes to Washington. Tyus gets to be a starting point guard. The, the word was that Tyus kind of wanted out of Memphis because he wanted to be able to run his own team, which, which is really interesting because when he 
signed with Memphis. He signed a two-year deal with Memphis, you know, almost exactly a, a year ago. And the presumption was that, oh, he's very happy being the backup to John Morant. And and then I, I was sort of intrigued by this news that, oh, Tyus wanted to be dealt. He wants to go someplace where he could be a starter. And and he gets to do that now in, in Washington. By the way, he only has one year left on his contract. Uh, he, he's getting paid $14 million this year. So, you know, if if you're worried about Tyus going from a contender in, in Memphis to a also-ran in Washington, he's, he's getting paid $14 million. Uh, hey Tyus, welcome, yeah. welcome, to, welcome to DC, buddy. We we <laughs> we we have a whole thirteen thousand strong Duke DC alumni waiting to watch you at your game. So reach out, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Can I comment on a few of the oddities of this trade? Sure, uh, sure. So so Jason, to your discussion about Tyus Jones and wanting to be a starter. The other thing here is that like, who knows uh, when John Morant is going to be like cleared according to polite society 25 games 25 games is when he's gonna yeah so so tyus jones was going to be starting those games and then when and who says that between now and 25 games into the season that john morant wouldn't do some other stupid thing that might prevent him from coming back on the court he he's sort of developed a history for being a little bit of uh of a fool so i i don't know that memphis was the worst place i do remember jason a couple years ago when Tyus Jones was was uh, was getting himself into that situation that we were like, huh, weird setup for him. But what I've always perceived about Tyus Jones and about about his brother as well is that uh, they seem to be very clear about, you know, about what their place is in the NBA. I don't think that Tyus Jones uh, sort of was a definitely I'm a I'm a starting point guard in the NBA on a team that is worth watching level of talent. And I think that that perception has changed over the last couple of years and that now he is in that position. I will say the bummer for him is that he goes to one of the worst franchises. I mean, oh, the, the franchise. They're going to be tanking. They're, they're, they're absolutely tanking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the Wizards are tanking. Uh, I saw a great tweet because there was there's also some uh, some Wizards ownership group uh, changes going on. Saw a great tweet that the Wizards are are on track to to compete to win 45 games in the 2035 season. So. Uh, that's a that's a tough look for the for the guys. Um, so on the one hand, I love that Tyus Jones is playing for my my old hometown team, and that Donald's going to get to see him. On the other hand, man, that is the kiss of death to to be playing in <laughs> Washington for that franchise. It's just they just stink all the time. And uh, they told Bradley Beal that they were going to build a winner or, or a contender around him, and uh, they dumped him off. So uh, that didn't work. And and so yes, I'm rooting for Tyus Jones. Uh, Quite frankly, like speaking with my Duke hat on or with my Duke Homefield Apparel shirt on, uh, I hope Tyus Jones is only in Washington for one season because uh, that's a that's a tough place to develop your NBA career. And I'm very curious, uh, not that we need to get into it here, but how Kristaps Porzingis is going to fit on the Celtics. I was going to say the Dukie who probably is going to get the biggest leap in name recognition next year, Trey Jones. Why? Because he happens to play in the San Antonio Spurs were one of the greatest prospects that has ever come into the NBA draft is going, they're going to be on national TV a billion times next year. Everyone's going to know who Trey Jones is. We already knew, but everyone else is too. I'm used to, when I watch the draft, I'm used to like the players being a lot taller than the commissioner. That's totally fine and normal. Uh, but I saw the Wimby picture Yama's of like all the, all the lottery <laughs> picks standing next to each other. And when Banyama's like in his own row. Yeah. I love that. That guy yeah. is he looks tremendous. Too- 
He looked tall standing next to Derek Lively, and Derek Lively yes. seven one. Seven. Yes, he was sitting down, and he's a he was a foot. You know, they usually angle the set uh, of any set where everyone is relatively the same height, so they you know are talking to each other. They couldn't do that for him. He his chair was at the lowest setting, and he was still a foot taller than everyone else on the ESPN set. He's it's this is the most massive tall person I've he's, ever seen. He's, he's listed so at what tall. seven five, seven six. Well, he's so listed he, at seven two. But he's well, really on, seven. Hold five. on. Here's the deal. He did not attend the NBA draft combine, so there is no official NBA height on him. The last time he was measured or something like that, I, I believe he was seven two or seven three. He was seven two. Yeah, he's when, clearly when, taller than that. Yes, yes. Everyone says he's clearly it, taller than that. Is it that the is it that all the all the rulers that go that high are don't, don't translate to metric? Is that is that the problem? <laughs> right. you, like he has a centimeter reading, we just can't compute it into, into inches. No, no. But there there is there is a point in the preseason when the San Antonio Spurs will have to officially measure him and submit an official height without shoes to the NBA. And that will be a big, I, I suggest that ESPN televise that moment because <laughs> it's, like, it's a big deal. Like they I do weigh in for boxing. Yeah, like I, a weigh I, in. Yeah. I remember watching George Mirasan. Uh, now I was a child. You you all probably remember George Mirasan better than I do. But yes. I remember watching George Mirasan and thinking the same thing. Like this person among uh, a group of, of absurdly large humans, this person is absurdly large relative to these other people. So I, I have I, sat I have sat on a plane right in or right behind George Marison. Let me tell you, that is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Him getting onto a plane. Oh, That's guy. all I'll say about George Marison. <laughs> hey guys, I do want to note one last quick thing about Tyus Jones. He did just have far and away his best season in the NBA last year for the Memphis Grizzlies. So if he sort of changed his mind about okay, I'm comfortable being a backup versus I think I'm good enough to be a starter. It's it's understandable. And the other thing I wanted to note about him is he may not be in Washington all of next year. It, it's He's on an expiring contract. It is highly possible, I think, because Washington, as we mentioned, is in you know tank mode, get as many first-round draft picks as we can kind of mode. I think it is very possible that at some point during the season next year, they look to deal, you know, if, if Tyus is having a good season, as many people expect him to, that they might look to deal him to a contender. And again, with a expiring contract, Tyus then gets to decide next offseason where he wants to play basketball because, you know, he'll be an unrestricted free agent. Get him out of Washington. Save Tyus Jones. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, John Shire needs help. Help wanted in Durham. Assistant coaches needed. That story in a moment. Let me give you a big Labor Day surprise. Most people think if we all exercise the same and eat the same, we'd all look the same. And let me tell you why that's wrong. Your body is unique and your metabolism is unique. I'm Lacey Green, and I'm a super trainer at Body. That's B-O-D-I dot com. And you can't see me, but I don't look like your average personal trainer. I'm curvy, and I'm proud of it. So I created a program for beginners only on the Body app to show people like us how to get incredible results and be our version of happy and healthy. This isn't just workout videos. 
us. It's people like you and me. It's community. It's incredible trainers. It's easy to follow nutrition and mindset experts to help you reduce stress and just feel better. And you can get started with my new program called For Beginners Only. Now, here's the big surprise. If you go to body.com right now, that's B-O-D-I.com, not only can you get everything Body has to offer at 50% off with an annual membership, you'll also get an additional 20% off, but only during Labor Day weekend. Let's do this together. Go to body.com. That's body with an I.com. Hey there, Duke fans. You know, warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef created meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. That's right, Jason. And Jason, I can tell you, I just got some meals. They're fantastic. And the great thing is, like you said, two minutes. Mindless work. Pop it in the microwave, do what you need to do, and it's ready to eat. No more cooking, no more cleaning pots and pans. And also, there's a lot of choices with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So you'll always have new flavors to explore. All right, so head to factormeals.com slash DukeBB50. Use that code, DukeBB50, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code DukeBB50 at factormeals.com. Get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy Factor Meals from the Duke Basketball Roundup. All right, we are back from the break, and we've only got two more topics. We've been hitting a bunch of different topics. We've got two more topics to hit on this edition of the podcast. The first one is this. We are weeping. We are so sad to hear that Emil Jefferson will be leaving Durham. He is no longer going to be an assistant for the Duke Blue Devils because he's going to become an assistant for the Boston Celtics. He's going up to the NBA. The Celtics must have really liked Emil Jefferson because the the theory was that the Celtics wanted to surround their their head coach, Joe Missoula, who, who, who's only been on the job for one year and was sort of thrust into the job at the very last minute. The, the theory was that they wanted to surround Joe Missoula with very experienced assistant coaches who could who could help Joe. Joe Missoula has only been an NBA assistant coach for like he was like for like two or three years. And then, you know, again, this this Celtics job through a confluence of weird events ended up going to him. So to me, it's a big deal that the Boston Celtics who were looking for as experienced assistance as they could find took Emil Jefferson, who has one year of college basketball assistant coaching under his belt. Uh, now, obviously the Celtics know Duke players and they know Emil Jefferson, Steve Pagliuca, the, you know, one of the owners of, of the Celtics is, is someone who is very familiar with the Duke basketball program. And then there's that guy, Jason Tatum, who his one year in college basketball was played underneath the tutelage of captain Emil Jefferson. Uh, Emil was the captain, of course, of that 20, 2017 team that, that uh, Tatum was a part of. But but I just think it's it's really interesting that Emil's moving up to the NBA. Uh, Sam, anything on this? Yeah, two things. Uh, Emil Jefferson, welcome to Boston. Uh, 
I don't know that our I don't know if our alumni club is quite as strong as as the one that Tyus Jones gets to enjoy in DC. But yeah, Sam, uh, Sam, isn't it pronounced Boston? Sorry, Boston. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, Mil Jefferson, welcome to Boston. Uh, we are so excited to have you as part of the Celtics organization. I don't oh, much better. That That's much better. better. I want to hear you do the entire podcast in a busted accent, please. Do you want me to do, you want me to, do, you want me to do that? Uh, I'm looking at the Celtics roster, and I think as of now, there are only three players who are older than than Emil Jefferson because uh, he's he just turned third. I can't do this. I'm I'm. It's I'm, really I'm good, out. man. You were killing it. Out. <laughs> uh, Emil Jefferson is 30 years old, so as you said, Jason, he's uh, he's relatively inexperienced. Uh, not just in coaching, but in life. He's just not not that old of a gentleman. But uh, what we've always said about Emil Jefferson is that uh, he is like the the, the consummate leader. Uh, he was he was a captain at Duke for what it seemed like forever because he had an injury season that, that kept him in the program for an extra year to play with Jason Tatum, uh, which I think was a was a great benefit to Tatum and to Jefferson and to the team that year. And it does sound like the relationship that he has with Tatum was a big driver for why the Celtics were interested in this in the first place. Of course, in the NBA, you don't have the the kinds of uh, assistant coach numbers restrictions that um, that you do in in college. So uh, if Emil is only spending time with like two or three Celtics players, then he is he is more than than worth his spot on the bench. And I think it's also a cool thing that you know under the during the Coach K era, Duke had a number of assistant coaches who stayed for a long time and then went and became uh, head coaches at other places. Johnny Dawkins, uh, Steve Wojciechowski, Chris Collins, Jeff Capel. They didn't really have anybody that went and did anything else. And so I, I think that in pursuit of Duke likes being, you know, everywhere in the NBA, I think it's great that there are Duke coaches that are leaving the Duke bench to go get this opportunity. The other thing I would imagine that that Emil Jefferson is saying is like, look, I didn't get that much of an NBA uh, experience. I think he was he was bouncing around for like two or three years in the professional ranks and then came back to coaching. And this is a way for him to sort of continue that journey. And I I get the impression, again, sort of going back to Emil's attitude and 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 the type of player that he was on the court. I imagine that NBA teams were saying to themselves, God, I wish we could just have Emil Jefferson in the locker room and in practice and not have to spend a roster spot on him because frankly, he's a six eight, you know, non non-shooting, uh, high energy power forward, which just isn't a thing in the NBA anymore. So I am sure that that a program like the Celtics or a, a franchise like the Celtics that is uh generally considered pretty well run, uh, is the 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 fact that Emil is is getting an opportunity there, I think speaks volumes about his. Uh, potential as a coach and maybe look maybe this means that he doesn't become a a college head coach someday maybe it means he becomes an nba head coach someday and that would be pretty cool too you know this is just the player to be named later in the trade between boston and duke's coaching staffs remember a couple years ago carol carol lawson uh, uh down there and so a couple years later, they come for Emil jefferson I, I, first of all i i think it's a great move for Emil. again like you guys said so young in his career and also just after one year he clearly made an impression on a lot of people with his ability to develop players uh and, and you know and or even just to relate to players and work with them you know being able to have that kind of impact in just a year and i think it a year before that he was the player development operations person that didn't get to recruit but he has been able to 
do that to jump to the league, I think that's amazing. Um, we're going to miss his intensity for sure. Um, that's the one thing that we're going to miss in Durham is that his intensity was something that players talked about, and when, especially with regards to practice and him letting them know there is a style of Duke play that needs to be had. There's a style of Duke mentality that needs to be had and that you will have it as long as Emil Jefferson is on your bench. I think, you know, it's, it, for Boston, it's great that they came and got that, but for us, it is a sad, sad day because we lose that uh, intensity and just that that guy in the locker room who everyone, I mean, I, I don't know any person who has ever put on a Duke blue shirt that does not love Emil Jefferson. Uh, so he will be sorely missed in Durham. Yeah, and, and let's get to the impact of this on the Duke coaching staff. Obviously, Donald, you're correct. Emil will be missed tremendously in Durham. He was a guy who was beginning to really come on as a recruiter. Uh, the the consensus out there was that Emil was the guy who had been the lead recruiter on landing Isaiah Evans, who is currently the top recruit for Duke in the class of 2024. Uh, so, it, you know, Emil was was hitting the road. He was, you know, showing up and representing Duke at AAU events and the such and and really doing a very nice job of of recruiting in addition to Donald, as you mentioned, the the stellar job that he does as a leader, as an example, as a guy who can teach and show skills. I think, I think there's, you know, we, we've the past two years we've seen Duke big men play really, 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 really well. You can, you know, almost argue that the strength of the team the past couple of years has been the quality of the big men, and I'm I'm certain that Emil Jefferson had a role in the development of Paula Bancaro and Mark Williams and Kyle Filipowski and Derek Lively. So Emil will be missed in a number of different ways. So let's talk about what Duke does next. John Shire does not only have Emil's position open on the staff. He has two additional positions. The NCAA has changed the rules. College basketball teams are now allowed to, to have two additional assistants. They are assistants who will not do any recruiting, which means that, you know, these are guys who are primarily teachers and, and primarily, you know, game guys. I, I, I suspect that we'll see... Uh, Mike Schraggy just moving into to one of these spots, you know, it, it, his his job as I think he was special assistant to the head coach. Was, mm -hmm. uh, that, that was the title. My, my bet is they just formally will title him as an assistant coach now. Uh, and and I, I think that we'll see Will Avery, William Avery, getting one of these coaching spots. He, he, he had already joined the staff again in a lesser position when he when he got done graduating from Duke, which we have talked about on this podcast and, and congrats again to Mr. Avery for, for completing his Duke degree <clears throat> many years after, after starting it. <laughs> oh, it quite an accomplishment. And I, I bet, I bet that he just gets elevated into probably one of these maybe non-recruiting assistant roles, but there's still going to be at least one spot available and i think it'll be this current spot that emil was in that john shire is going to have to fill and, uh, you know donald any any thoughts or comments on where, where does duke go for an assistant coach now I, I guess everybody and their brother sort of wants it to be quinn cook don't they <laughs> yeah i think so i you know i feel like if quinn was to come back tomorrow he should come back yesterday like that man that man should be in involved in the duke program as long as he wants um but just like uh jay lucas last year i almost expect to see uh, some candidates from outside of the Duke family, uh, outside of the brotherhood to be considered for this uh, mainly again, because it, it seems at least in his first year that John Shire is open to the fact that, Hey, you know, I need an outside perspective and I need a fresh perspective on 
the approach to the game from all at from all angles and and even in recruiting i want to see how everyone else is doing it so that we can make sure that we stay on top and to do that you can't just rely on a duke player so while i you know i'd love to have a duke player in i'm not i'm not going to be surprised if that hire comes from outside of the brotherhood and in john and john shower kind of says hey i want to again increase the ex, you know just not just the uh, uh exposure of duke to everyone else but also the perspective and also i feel like this is a way for John Shire to start forming his own coaching tree, which I think is going to be something that, of course, we may not feel the effects right now, but down the line, he wants to have it where he this coaching tree is not just, you know, rooted firmly uh, by one person, that it's a Duke family tree that is rooted with several different ones. You know, the other interesting thing here is that uh... – I guess Mike Schrocki is is fairly experienced, but not a ton of time as a head coach. Chris Carowell's the other old head on the staff who's left, right? Because because Nate James isn't there anymore, uh, and not clear that like Nate or or anybody else who's who's kind of left and and had um, and had a hard time as a head coach is is thinking about coming back. We know that Steve Bojahowski has a new assistant gig uh, where he's going to be in the NBA, which is cool. The so I, I do wonder at some point if Chris Carowell is interested in in taking over a program uh, and and that that'll even add another another opportunity here for John Shire. I feel like on that topic, Duke has done a pretty good job of bringing in young guys as as assistant coaches, uh, you know, obviously having Rachel Baker there to to handle all the um all the player name, image, and likeness stuff has been really great. And so I feel like, you know, on, on a lot of uh, benches, like if you talked about the coach K bench uh, a few years ago, sort of pre John Shire, the thing they were looking for was someone who was a little younger to connect with the, with the current players. Uh, I don't think Duke needs that at the moment. So if there was anything I was looking for in a, in an assistant, whether it was a Duke guy or not a Duke guy, I'd be looking for a little bit more experience somebody who's going to bring uh fresh sort of X's and O's perspective as well as uh, a bit of wisdom to this program, because uh, it does feel like we're, we've, uh, we've drained a bit of the wisdom out the last couple of years, which is totally fine. Uh, I, I, I sort of tend to think that the, the younger guys have a pretty good handle on this. People seem fairly confident that John Shire has a handle on it and he's only 35. So uh, that would be the one place I'd be looking and echoing Donald's point, the, the point that I've made a number of times about the coaching staff here, that I'm very glad that John Shire is open to looking elsewhere than the Duke family tree. Not that there aren't tons of, of talented guys out there like Quinn Cook who might make sense on this bench, but there are lots of other guys, uh, Jay Lucas being a perfect example of that that Duke has already brought in, who uh, seem to be bringing fresh perspectives and new ideas to the program. And I feel like all that can do is help all right, gentlemen, time for the last topic. We will take this one very, very quickly. The The FIBA World Cup is coming up this fall. Team USA has been announced, with the exception there's still one more spot to be to be filled on the USA roster. But the, the significant news from a Duke standpoint is Paulo Bancaro has been named to the uh, USA roster for the FIBA World Cup. This, uh, this was a little bit of a surprise because everyone expected Paulo had played some of his youth, younger, uh, you know, FIBA international basketball for Italy. His father is of Italian descent and Paulo is, was eligible to play for Italy. And that's what he had done up until now. And, and now he has switched 
and and has essentially declared himself an American <laughs> for good. I, I believe I, you know I'm not, I'm not certain of all the the FIBA rules, but I believe that this means that Paulo Bancaro cannot switch back to Italy now. He must stay uh, a member of of Team USA, whether you know whether he makes Olympic teams or not. I think there's certainly a chance he'll make an Olympic team at some point. But uh, and, and by the way, it's worth noting that Brandon Ingram is also on the FIBA World Cup team for Team USA. It's a it's a really interesting roster mix of guys who are somewhat experienced in the NBA guys like Brandon Ingram guys like Jalen Brunson um and then uh, a bunch of uh, younger guys Walker Kessler's on the team uh Mikhail Bridges who we mentioned earlier is on the team Austin Reeves from the LA Lakers is on that team Tyrese Halliburton you know maybe the best young point guard in the NBA Anthony Edwards who I think probably is going to be a starter on that team it's a really interesting roster but uh guys any any reaction to Paulo becoming a American so to speak <laughs> well, Jason, uh, I should note that I think the second he steps on a court in a FIBA World Cup or an Olympics, it's over. Like he can't switch back. So that's the the rule you're referring to. But this was something that it, you mentioned was a surprise. It was actually kind of a shock because I think as early as February, as recently as February, he had mentioned that he would be playing for Team Italy in the World Cup this summer. And that news that he is you know, switching his allegiance, so to speak, to the United States and, re- and representing the United States, A, I think is a testament to the type of season that he had, which was incredible, uh, an incredible season. And the fact that before he was probably thinking, there's so many guys that they could call in. There's no way they're going to call me Italy. I could walk in and be the star from day one. But when Team USA's camp goes, hey, Paulo, we're, you know, we'd love to have you. He was probably like, oh, Okay, well, that makes that'll work for me. Um, so I think it's a testament to the season that he had, and also I think also just him and and Brandon Ingram on the roster. Both of them, I think, are dynamic. They bring a, you know a certain skill set that some of those younger players, Jason, that you mentioned that are on the team don't quite have, but also which translates super well to the international game. We've seen Paulo play international basketball back when he was in high school. He terrorized people. Uh, so for him to be in a U.S. uniform, I am thrilled for that. Uh, from a, from at least from an American perspective, but really from a Duke perspective, those two guys are bringing something to the international game that I think translates well. And just like you saw, kind of you know Carmelo Anthony carve out his own little niche as being arguably, some people call him the greatest, you know, Olympian basketball Olympian men's of all time. These guys have similar games that nobody in the rest of the world are going to be able to compete with, and because of that. I'm looking forward to watching them play in the FIBA World Cup this summer. General uh, hierarchy here is if you can play for Team USA in the Olympics, you play for Team USA in the Olympics. If you can play for anybody else in the Olympics, but you can't play for Team USA, then you do that uh, to avoid never getting to play in the Olympics. And I think the the thought process for a guy like Paulo Bancaro is maybe he is like destined to become one of the the – 10 or 15 best players in the NBA, which basically means, yes, you can play on the Olympic team. Uh, you you pretty much have to be one of the like 25 or 30 best players to even be considered. Some of those guys obviously are are not American. They definitely, you know, Victor Wenbanyama is, is going to be representing France uh, in the Olympics. He won't be representing the U.S., for instance. So Paulo Bancaro is probably looking at this and saying, is there a chance I'm going to become one of the top 30 players in the NBA? The answer now apparently like it appears to be yes he's he's getting to to represent at world cup and you hope that when the olympics comes around again that uh that opportunity will present itself for paulo and and it sounds like if he's getting it now 
you know, after his rookie season, that there's plenty of time left, you know, the upcoming Olympics, even the one after that, where he'll be uh, in his athletic prime and and most able to contribute for Team USA. I'm thrilled about this for Paulo because I feel like as cool as it is when when our guys are playing for other countries, uh, and, and it means that they get the spot in the Olympics if they get to play for Team USA, if they get to be Carlos Boozer or or Coach K, uh, then that is that's sort of the most exciting thing for us. I've got or I, I I don't know if I still have it, but at some point I had a Carlos Boozer Team USA jersey that I that I was oh, extremely cool. proud of. So yeah. Uh, I, I think you guys are absolutely right. That, In fact, I will go so far as to say that probably Paulo's conversation with Grant Hill and the other folks in charge of USA basketball was, you know, hey, do you think that I can make the Olympic team at some point? And they probably said, yeah, absolutely. And he went, okay, well then, all right, I'm, I'm here. I'm saying, yeah. yeah, I'm not saying he was promised a spot on the Olympic team, but but I think that there's, a, there's a, probably a pretty good chance that we're going to see Paulo playing for Team USA in the Olympics uh, fairly soon. It's worth noting, by the way, that the the, the FIBA World Cup will be in late August, um, and, and I'm I'm really excited. I really want to want to watch it because there's some teams that are very very interesting. You know, Donald, you were you know sort of saying, oh, you know, got, uh, you know, these guys can do stuff that no one else in the world can do. I mean, that's kind of true, but if you look at the roster that Canada is going to be bringing to the World Cup. It is a like I'm not sure that the U.S. are favorites. Canada might be the favorite. They got some, including R.J. Barrett, by the way. But they've got some really, really good players in the Canadian team. The FIBA World Cup is going to be ton uh, really, and and France with Rudy Gobert and Victor Wembanyama is going to be super exciting. And by the way, the best team in the world, according to FIBA, is the Spanish team. Spain is ranked number one in the FIBA rankings, so the World Cup could be really exciting. It could be, it's going to be really exciting, but Jason, I think the one thing that people will get to see is kind of the dynamics between those two teams. Canada, as you mentioned, loaded with stars. You know, Spain, loaded with stars. France are going to have you know two great stars. I'm not sure if, if Wimbanyama is going to be playing in that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he is. But like you also have like you know the Slovenias, the Serbias, those type of teams, right? Ser- Serbia, hey, any team with Nikola Jokic is a good team. <laughs> but I say the but to say this, but all those teams are sending their A team. The United States is not. And that's where the dynamic is going to be. Can a, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, trying to, you know, besmirch these guys by saying that they're the B team for the United States, but this is not the best group that the United States can send. We, we, we deal with this all the time. Can this team still win the world cup and still be again, one of the best teams in the world, if not the best team in the world, when they're not bringing all of their A stars like LeBron's and, and, the, and the Steph Curry's of the, of the world. If this is possible, the Olympics, which is next summer, it sets up for that to be a wild Olympics because if they can do it, you have now, again, a player pool of about 30 or 35 guys for 12 spots, and all of them are going to want to be in the Olympics next fall or next summer, which is in Paris. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic that comes out of the FIBA World Cup. I don't, I will say there have been some World Cups where the U.S. sent a team that I was like, this isn't even the B team. This is the C or the D team. I, mm-hmm. I think this is not only is this the B team. There's some of these guys like Paulo who I absolutely think could compete, could could compete to yep. be on to be on, quote unquote, the A team. Jaron Jackson Jr. is probably the best defender in the NBA right now. Tyrese mm-hmm. Halliburton. I, I mean, that dude is really, really good. So th- there's some there's some guys in this team that uh, Brandon Ingram, by the way, you know, hello. Yeah, there's some yep. guys in this team that that if you 
put them on the regular A team, no one would say, what are you doing? You know, that guy doesn't belong. They they all belong. That, that's one of the reasons I'm so excited for this upcoming FIBA World Cup. All right, we're going to wrap it up there. We, we have talked long enough. This is getting to be a long episode. Uh, that's going to do it for the latest episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup. I'm Jason Evans. Donald and Sam, thank you for being with me. Thanks to all of you for liking, subscribing. Those of you who haven't liked and subscribed yet, I'm not going to thank you. I'm, I'm just not doing it because you haven't done the one thing you need to do to make sure that you get the Duke Basketball Roundup in your feed the moment it is released. Like and subscribe. Go to home team. Use that po- that use that use uh, the coupon code DBR podcast. We love all of you. Hey, we're going to be back very, very soon. We've got coming up for you v- really soon a very special interview that we've done with a absolute, I mean, like calling him a legend doesn't even do it justice. He is a legend among legends. That's going to be coming in your feed in the next couple days. Until then, I'm Jason. He's Donald. He's Sam. And this is the Duke band to play us out and take us home. Yeah, do you want to do the Kentucky thing, or should we wait for it to be announced? Uh, yeah, I said we mentioned that it's that it's happening. Like, or we can mention that it's like a, that it's like a rumor. I mean, it, like it's out there. We don't know. We don't know if it's finalized yet. But I mean, I don't even know if I want to have a discussion of it. But an say, intern, an intern ex- for Kentucky Sports Radio. I'm I'm excited that it's even potentially happening. <laughs>